You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. I had the uh, the privilege and the fun um, experience of growing up in the 80s and the early 90s. I don't know anybody else in here that were kids of the 80s and 90s. Yeah, I see a lot of people out there. I mention that because when it comes to the 80s especially, um, the 80s were the wild, wild west of car safety. I don't know if you're aware of that. All right. There was no seat belts. There was no uh, car seats really in the 80s. You just kind of got thrown in the back seat or in the front seat if you wanted. Um, and really, the only safety requirement was that your parent had a strong enough arm. So when they had to stop fast, they jammed their arm out. Um, that's kind of what I remember growing up. But by the time I got my license, which was in the mid-90s, um, a lot of car safety had been implemented. A lot of studies had been done, a lot of research regarding keeping people safe during car accidents especially. Um, and the number one safety implement, implementation tool that had been thrown in was the seatbelt, right? Cars had had seatbelts, but it was really decoration, right, until this point. Um, but it's where we started to really crack down on seatbelts, right? You started seeing a lot of commercials on TV about seatbelt safety, wear your seatbelt. You started to see um, the police implemented click it or ticket, right? And you, had, you started getting tickets and fines for not putting your seatbelt on. Um, and especially when I was getting my driver's license, you had to go through your five-hour safety course, right? And during that, they showed you these terrible videos about like what happens during car crashes and why you needed to wear your seatbelts, right? And I say this because at that point, we were being inundated with facts and data and evidence about why you needed to wear your seatbelt, right? Because it saved your life during crashes. At the same time, not everybody wore their seatbelt still. You would think that when people started showing videos of people being saved and people not wearing their seatbelt and terrible accidents and showing the data of how many people were being saved in accidents because they wore their seatbelt, it would kind of be a no-brainer. Everybody would go, oh, we should probably wear our seatbelts then, right? But it didn't happen that way. Um, some people just didn't buy into it um, to the point where the police had to get involved. You would think they wouldn't have to make a law if you said, hey, this will save your life. You would just click it on and there'd be no problems, right? But there wasn't. People still weren't buying into it. And I have to say, as, an early, as a young teenager just getting my license, I was one of those, right? I, I would throw it on sometimes, but sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm just going down the road, right? Or I'm just running over to, to the store. There's no big deal, right? Um, and the thing was is there was a difference here in belief versus evidence or fact. There's a difference between knowledge and belief. I knew that seatbelts were supposed to be safe. I knew seatbelts were supposed to save my life in an accident. But I didn't really believe it, because what I believed was I was impenetrable, and it was never going to happen to me. And so that superseded all of the evidence and facts that I saw saying that seatbelts were something that was going to save me. I was like, yeah, that's never going to happen. I'm not going to get in a car accident. First of all, I'm a super safe driver at 17. Okay, I'm really experienced and probably better skilled than anyone else on the road. Okay, but also it's never going to happen to me. I'm just driving down to the, to, the, to the store or I'm driving over to my grandma's house, right? So if I decide if I happen to throw it on because my mom's in the car, that's great, right? But it wasn't something that really stuck with me. Um, 
As I got a little older, I got better about it out of habit, but it still wasn't something that I just, it, it didn't rule my actions. It wasn't something that I had a hardcore faith and belief in, right? Um, until when I was, a few years later, I was in a fairly severe car accident um, where there was a number of cars involved, but there was a pickup truck in front of me and my little Honda Civic went into the back of the pickup truck and a canoe came through my windshield um, and trashed the car and everything. I happened to be wearing my seatbelt and the state trooper who showed up, um, you know, helped me out of the car and said, if it had been an inch over, you wouldn't be here right now. And he said, you're really lucky that you were wearing your seatbelt. Well, from that point on, I always wore my seatbelt. Okay, I believe my seatbelt helped save my life, right? So from there on, I never had an issue of getting in the car and remembering to click it, right? In fact, I'd get in my car and say, hey, you better put your seatbelt on to other people in my vehicle. Because at that point, it had moved past head knowledge, and it was in my heart as a belief. It was something I put faith in. It was something that helped dictate my actions. And so... What we're going to talk about a little bit today is belief. Um, we are in John 12. We're finishing John 12 up. And as we finish up John 12, we are, we're in the last week of Jesus' life. Um, even though we're just a little bit past the halfway point of the Gospel of John, the whole second half pretty much is just the last week of Jesus' life. Um, and so we are uh, at the end of John 12, verses 37 through 50, and we're going to talk about belief we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between knowledge and belief. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about what belief looks like. And we're going to talk a little bit about consequences of belief and unbelief. Um, and we're, while we start with John's words, we're actually going to end here with the last public statement that Jesus makes. Um, at the end of John 12, this is the last statement he makes out to the crowds before he withdraws himself to a smaller group, his disciples, um, and then during his trial and his crucifixion and everything that follows. But this is really his last public statement that he makes um, pr prior to everything else that comes into play. Um, so John 12, verses 37 through 50, we're going to start with verses 37 uh, through 41. And if you follow along, it says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they cannot believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So it puts us to the first point today, right? True belief is in the heart. We just talked a little bit about the difference between knowing something and believing it. And it's interesting because John starts saying, though all the people here, mainly Jews, they're in Jerusalem, but all, all, all the people here, the Jewish people, the uh, people that are in, in power, the scribes, the Pharisees, even though all of them had seen everything Jesus had been doing. They had heard Jesus' sermons. 
they had seen the evidence of who Jesus was. Even though that had all happened, they still didn't believe. And when I say they had seen, the, and, and John says they had seen the signs, and he's talking about miracles here, right? I kind of like the word signs because a sign points to something, right? And that's the whole purpose of Jesus' miracles, right? The purpose of his miracles, they might have had a really great positive side effect on the people that were, being, that were involved, like Lazarus being raised from the dead, the blind man being, to, being able to see, but the purpose of that miracle or sign was to point to God. It was to point to God's glory, and it was to glorify God. So even though they had seen all these signs, and at this point in the, in the gospel story, Jesus had performed 34 miracles or signs up until this point throughout the four gospels. The four gospels kind of split them up a little bit. Some of them talk about the same ones. But up until this point, he had performed 34 public signs or miracles. And some people had seen those things happen. They saw blind men be able to see, lepers healed, um, you know, heard or, you know, either seen or heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Um, they had seen, you know, people that are paralyzed being able to walk. They had seen all of these things happen. And still, even though they saw it, they heard about it from reliable places, they still didn't believe in Jesus. The problem here being that, again, you can see something and not actually put your faith in it. Much like I, just, I described a few minutes ago, right? I saw a lot of data and facts about seatbelts. I didn't necessarily believe in them. Right? And the same we see here. They had seen the evidence. They had seen data, if you will. They had, as the kids would say today, they saw the receipts. Okay? They saw everything they needed to. They even heard Jesus preach and they even heard Jesus point out to them, back in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Everything they needed, not to mention these Jewish people, had the scriptures that pointed to Jesus. Everything they needed had been laid out for them. And they knew it. They could say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But they still didn't believe in it. They didn't put their faith in it. James talks about this later in his letter. Um, he calls it a kind of a demon faith. And he says, even the demons believe in Jesus and God. Right? The demons know God exists. Right? Satan knows God exists. But they don't follow him and put their faith in him, and their actions don't show that. So there's a difference between knowledge and belief. And we see that here as well. Um, Part of it, as John goes into too, is that these Jewish people and the people that are listening here had continuously hardened their hearts. They had seen miracle or sign after sign after sign, wonder after wonder. They'd heard Jesus preaching. They'd heard people talk about Jesus. They saw the connection to the scriptures. And each time they still refused to believe. Every time they hardened their hearts. They saw it in their head, but they didn't let it penetrate here. And so 
as John mentions, this all happened so that the scriptures would be revealed. Isaiah said, right, that they had heard and they didn't believe, right? He says, uh, therefore they cannot believe. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah had spoke these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Isaiah was a prophet. He had seen the glory of Christ. He spoke of Jesus. He spoke of the Messiah. And so he's talking about, not only was he talking to the people of his own time, but he's also speaking about the people here that are standing in front of Jesus. He's also speaking about some of the people today that still see all of the evidence and don't believe. So it says here in the interesting piece that we get into is it says also that they, re, they continuously re, refuse to believe, refuse to believe. They harden their heart. They harden their heart. And so finally, God hardened their heart so that they couldn't believe. This is a biblical truth we've seen before in a number of places. The earth, the, one of the earliest ones and the first ones that pops into mind is in Exodus. right? Exodus um, 6 through 11, where we see Pharaoh and Moses. right? We see the plagues. After each one of them, Moses continuously is sent to Pharaoh and tells him what God wants. Let the Hebrews go. Right? He tells him that there's tells him about God, tells him what God wants. And then he he witnesses the evidence of each of the plagues happening. But after each one, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He sees it, he understands it, but he doesn't believe in it. Not enough that he puts his trust in it and acts upon it. And so finally, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could not believe. Right? This is not God. This is not God just choosing someone and going, oh yeah, Jimmy, I'm not going to let him believe. Right? Whether it's Pharaoh, whether it's the Jews that are here in front of Jesus, these people had repeatedly been given opportunity. They were shown evidence. They saw, in, in, the, in the case of the people standing here, they saw Jesus in, physically in front of them. They heard the scriptures. They saw the miracles. They saw the signs. Pharaoh saw a lot of signs um, throughout that, that time in Exodus, right? But they, but they continuously hardened their own heart and refused to believe in something that they saw. And in the cases of those two groups... Finally, God just hardened their heart. And it connects right here to what Isaiah had said as well, as he points to it. So the, the, the thing we have to see here is that there's definitely a difference between head knowledge and heart belief. And you believe in your heart, right? Once you see the evidence, once you see and hear things, right? Um, once you have been given the gospel message, and you, put your, you actually put faith into it, you trust in Jesus that he came to save us, that he died to save us, there's a belief that happens there in your heart. And that's what John starts us off with here. 
John also moves into talking a little bit about that belief. Right? In verse 42, John says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So that brings us to my next point. True belief isn't a secret. Right? He says, out of the people who either believed or didn't believe, which we just saw, there was a number of people who didn't believe even though they saw everything. He says, there also were some authorities and some teachers, some scribes, some Pharisees amongst the Jews who did believe. But they hid it because they were afraid of what would happen to them. It says, John says here, they'd be put out of the synagogue. Now that's a little bit more serious than just you can't come to church Sunday. All right, in the, Jewish, uh, in the Jewish culture of the time, being put out of synagogue was being excommunicated. Not only did you not get to come to church, but you lost all social standing. You lost all standing within probably your family, right? within the community, the city. Everything kind of was wrapped around your place within the Jewish religion and the Jewish faith. And at the synagogue, everything kind of went around that. So to be put out of that is a pretty big deal. But John's quick to say here, you know, at the end of it, regardless of what they were afraid of, the biggest problem was that they put more stock in what people thought than God. They believed, but at the end of the day, they were afraid of what people around them would say, and so they were kind of teetering on the fence. They believed in secret. They believed it was Jesus, but they didn't want to necessarily mention it. Right? There are some who believed and kept it in secret and then later moved to a point where it wasn't so secret. Right? Um, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea fall into these categories. They believed and really not said much, and later we see them a little bit taking a little bit bigger part. The problem with this is that. If you, fit, if you sit on the fence long enough, right, when the wind blows and challenges come, eventually you fall to one side or the other. You can't stay on the fence forever. Um, eventually, you end up, you, you can't stay there. You end up on one side or the other. Uh, there is no such thing as a secret disciple. Unfortunately, it can't happen. One side or the other takes precedent at some point. Either you put your faith and trust in God so much that you start bearing so much fruit that it becomes obvious, right? Belief dictates action. So if you believe, you truly put your trust in Jesus, right? You're reading the word of God and you're acting it out in your life. It eventually becomes, comes to the point where you can't keep it secret. Everyone sees that. People see the fruit that's born. People see the witness that you're putting out. So you can't really be a secret disciple. Because if you're living out a life dedicated to Jesus, it becomes glaringly obvious. Or the other problem is, or the other, the other swing of the pendulum is, you try to keep it a secret so much that the secrecy eventually overcomes the discipleship. 
but you can't stay in the middle. You can't have it both ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. And this is what John is kind of telling us about, right? So there were the people who, no matter what they saw, just refused to see. They hardened their hearts. And God eventually hardened their heart permanently. Then you had the people who believed, but they weren't really, they weren't too, too, they weren't too excited about being vocal because they were afraid what people around them might think. And this talks to us today. I mean, there's, today there's a lot of us who are believers in Jesus, but maybe we're not, you know, we kind of keep it hushed. We don't mention it, right? We keep it kind of under the, under the table. Uh, we only act out our faith or we only are vocal about our faith when we're at church on Sunday. We know everybody else in the room feels the same way because we know they're not going to kick us out of the group. But there's a danger there because, again, you can't live two sides of a coin. You can't be on the fence. right? You have to decide, is it your faith and your trust going to be in Jesus, or is it going to be in what, you're, what you think people are going to think of you in the community, in the area, in your job? right? It doesn't mean you have to come in every day to your work with a huge banner with a Jesus fish on it that says Jesus, and you hang it up, right? And every person that walks by you, you hand them a Bible, right? And you tell them, you know, peace be with you. Here you go, right? Uh, Jesus loves you. It'd be great if you could do that, but that doesn't mean you have to live that way. But you also don't have to keep things secret, right? I work a job. I work a job that I work for the state, um, which does not have a tremendous amount of necessarily believers, um, it's a governmental spot, which necessarily doesn't promote spirituality, doesn't promote religion necessarily, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, people at my work know I'm a pastor. It's not something I hide. I don't do a sermon at every meeting, right? I don't go, they go, anybody have anything else? And I go, yeah, I'd like us to open to Matthew, Right? I don't do that in every meeting because that's not the place for that because we're on work time. Right? We're supposed to be decide, discussing governmental issues. But when it's come up in conversation, right, I have mentioned, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, or yeah, you know, I'm a pastor at a church in Gilderland, um, because it's not something that I hide. And, and I would hope that whether I was being vocal or not, my actions would show that there's something different about me. And so that's where we really have to assess ourselves and say, where am I at in that? Right? Hopefully we're not at a point where we see the evidence and we don't believe. But are we at a point where we believe, but we're still kind of afraid of what everyone else is going to think? Because again, if our full trust is being put into Jesus, it shouldn't matter and the way that we act and the way that we believe um, should be obvious to people that something is different about us. Um, true belief is evident to those around you because you bear fruit when you believe. Um, James's letter is based on this, this evidence. James talks all about, about how if you're a believer, you should live differently. If you're a believer, you should bear fruit. Um, we should not be afraid of our faith. We should not be afraid of what people might think. 
It should be a joyous thing when we come to put our faith in Christ. When we recognize what Jesus did for us, that Jesus died, rose again, and fulfillment in the scriptures, so that anyone who believes in him and puts their trust in him could have eternal life. That's something to be celebrated. Not something to hide. And that's part of what we do here when someone becomes a believer, or when somebody joins us that's a believer, with baptism. Right? Baptism is something that we, we do full immersion, adult baptism. Right? Um, and what a baptism is here, right? We do not believe baptism saves you. You don't get baptized and all of a sudden you're a Christian. Right? We have a believer's baptism. We believe that once you've made the decision, once you've, once you've put your trust in Jesus, and you, you verify and you say, yes, I believe Jesus died for me, and I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for me, and he takes away my sin. He covers my sin. Once you understand that, and you trust in it in your heart, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, right? then the next step is to outwardly show that to people, to celebrate that with your friends, your family, the church community that you might be in. And that's why we have baptism, right? We have baptism so that you can show people, here's an outward sign of the inward change that's happened. Here's an outward sign of the, of the faith that I've put in Christ, of the fact that Jesus died for me and I was born again. And that's why baptism is such, such an important piece. Because it's kind of showing people as well, I'm not hiding this. Right? But here's my outward celebration that I want to share with people, uh, hopefully as part of a witness to people who may not believe already, but also just as an outward sign of my faith and of what Jesus has done for me. So now, as John has mentioned these things, he now gets into Jesus' final public statement. Verse 44, it picks up, and it says, And Jesus cried out, and he said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So that's Jesus' last public statement. He talks a little bit here about belief. Um, the first thing he says is that there were a number of Jews who may have seen everything but not believed, and they tried to defend themselves by their own faith or their own religion more so. They tried to defend themselves by saying, well, this isn't, exact, this isn't how we read the scriptures. The Messiah wouldn't act like this. We're expecting the Messiah to show up and conquer the Romans and to lead us out of, you know, lead us out of Roman captivity or Roman governance. Um, and they kept pointing to the fact of their religion and saying, well, this is, this is hypocrisy, what Jesus is saying. And Jesus clears it up here. 
right? Jesus says, listen, the God that you keep trying to point to, the God of Abraham, of Jacob, of Isaac, of Moses, is the Father who sent me. And everything I've said is what he said to say. So if you want to point and say, we're devout to God, then, everything, then you should be agreeing with me. Because everything I'm saying here and everything I'm doing, God told me to do. Right? He mentioned, as I said earlier in John 10, I and the Father are one. He really can't say it any more plain here. In his last public statement here, Jesus doesn't give a parable. He doesn't say it into a story. He says it very plainly. The Father has sent me, and everything I've said and done was because of the Father. There should be no confusion here. He says in no uncertain terms, Jesus, the Father, God, we're, we're the same. We've come, I've come to do the same work, to say the things that God has told me to say, and that's what you should be listening to and putting your faith in. Jesus then talks a little bit about the consequences of belief, which is our third point. Jesus mentions, all right, here's who I am. In case you missed it, in case you missed the 34 public miracles, in case you missed everything I've been saying up to this point, in case maybe you didn't understand some of the parables I said, this is who I am. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. Everything that I've said and done has been straight from God the Father. And then he clarifies and he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever believes in me gets pulled out of darkness. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. Right? The darkness is sin. It's the fallen world around. And he clearly says, anybody who believes in me is saved from that. I've come to save the world, and anyone who believes in me gets pulled out of the darkness. And then he says, even the people that don't, I haven't come to judge. Because I came to save the world. He didn't come to judge this time. Right? There's a, there's a there's clarification. As he's speaking, the first time Jesus came, he came to save the world. He will return. And when he returns, there's going to be judge, a judgment. But he even specifies that and says... When the people who don't believe are judged, they're going to be judged by the words I've said. There's a specific consequence to belief and unbelief. The consequence to belief is eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you put your trust in Jesus, believe in your heart that Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus has died for us to save us from our sin and give us eternal life. That's the consequence. You get eternal life. But then he also says that the consequence of unbelief is judgment. And you'll be judged versus what, we've, what I've said. Right? He says, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So whether or not you believed is the judgment process. 
And so he, again, he wraps us up by saying, God commanded me to say these words, to teach these things, to do these miracles, and I've done them. And if you believe in them, eternal life is the, is the, the, the consequence or the, the benefit of that, right? And if you don't, very harshly, the benefit is judgment and separation from God, which we would call hell. You guys are like, man, every time Steve gets up there, fire, brimstone. I thought you were supposed to be the fun pastor, Steve. Well, I, <laughs> I have to teach what it says here, right? And we have to teach the Bible. And the Bible is very clear here. And especially if, you know, these are the last words Jesus chose to speak to the public. He wanted to be very clear in his last public words. So what do we do with this information? Well, assess ourselves is probably a good start, right? Assess our heart. Where do we fall here, right? Are we someone who maybe really in our heart, we, we've looked at the Bible and go, yeah, I understand the Bible. I've read it. I've, I grew up in Sunday school. I kind of know the stories of the Bible. I know Jesus died for everyone's sin. But do you truly believe and put your faith in it? Does it actually show in the way you live? Do we live our lives knowing that this is the truth and that Jesus needs to be the key in our heart? Right? Because there's a difference, as we said, between brain knowledge and heart belief. And if you haven't taken that step, right, I would say reach out to someone, reach out to myself, Sean, Dan, one of the pastors, right, to discuss it if you're not sure if you're there. Right? There's not, nothing wrong with being unsure. But if you're unsure, come talk to one of us. Right? If you know you're a believer, are you on the fence? Not about your belief, but about where you're at as far as when it comes to everyone around you. Are you a secret disciple? Are you a believer on Sunday, but then your life doesn't actually show it the rest of the week because you don't want, you don't want people to judge you based on the world's standards and not Jesus' standard. Right? That's an area of growth. That's an area of working out our salvation. That's an area of heart change for us. And then knowing this, right, it's never too late to come to Christ. It's never too late if you're sitting there and going, I just don't know where I'm at here. I'm really confused, right? Then again, talk with one of us, right? Talk with someone that you know, that you respect, that you know is a believer. Um, but definitely one of the pastors are always open. But this is the time to put your faith in Jesus. This is the time to understand that even though we've all been born into sin, Right? We have sinful hearts by nature because of the fall of the world. God gave us an out. He sent Jesus. And Jesus ends his last public statement by saying, here's the thing, believe in me, eternal life. Don't believe in me. You're going to be judged on that. And it's separation from God eternally. It's hell. That's the two options. There's no colors. There's no grays. There's no maybes or not sures. So that's kind of what we have to ask ourselves. Where do we fall in that? I'm going to call up the worship team.
to play us out. In a, in, and so uh, while they do that, I'm going to close us up in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to go through it together, to talk about it, Lord. We, we thank you for your wisdom, and we ask that you open all of our hearts, that you help us assess ourselves, Lord, that you help us um, just make a heart change, Lord, and to be more dedicated to you, to trust in you, Lord, to have true belief that shows in our actions, that shows in our life, Lord, and to help us not be, you know, help us not be, um, help us not to care about what people around us say. Help, help us not to um, focus on that, but to focus on Jesus. Um, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the for sacrifice you did so that anyone who believes in you can have eternal life, Lord. We just love you, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. <laughs>